All right. Well, speaking of Sabbath, how's it going for you, church? Yes, it got a mixed response. We got some, some maybe awkward chuckles, got a couple thumbs up, a few goods. Some people are like, oh, man, it's, it's been a challenge. And it is. It is. Sabbathing is hard. It is countercultural, truly. Our culture says go, 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 achieve, achieve, strive, strive. And it doesn't say rest. It doesn't say be still. It doesn't say spend time with the Lord. Our culture really does not encourage us to do that at all. And uh, for Lauren and I, we have experienced plenty of resistance as we have done our very best to take time to step aside from the pace of the world and find rest in the presence of Jesus. And it's, it is not easy. John Mark Comer has this to say about Sabbath. Here's what Sabbath is like for a lot of modern Western Christians. We stay up late on Saturday night watching a movie or TV or going to a party. You overeat, possibly overdrink. You wake up Sunday morning in a fog and I rush out the door to church in a hurry. That is, if you go to church, more and more people don't these days. After church, you go shopping or watch a game on TV or work around the house or in the yard. Maybe you get ahead on email and plan out your week or meal prep or do homework or whatever. You maybe watch another movie at night and go to bed. That definitely, I think, uh, describes what some would consider to be Sabbath for them. And that's fair. It is what it is. What the, the practicing the way they call this Sabbath or like a kind of Sabbath it's like, I kind of Sabbath, I Sabbished. That's the idea that really our culture doesn't, we don't fully understand how to Sabbath well naturally. Uh, and this in a lot of ways is how I began to approach Sabbath. Um, I viewed it as another task to complete, another thing to become per, uh, good at. <laughs> I, I like challenge in life. I like to perfect things. I like to try new things and get better at them. And this is how I viewed Sabbath. Uh, to quote the great theologian Shia LaBeouf, just do it was kind of my like go-to when it came to Sabbath. It's like do it. And then like if you don't do it well, do it even harder. Didn't work out too well. Time and time again, as we began to try and Sabbath, it, the, it returned void. There was no soul level deep rest and really, it just led to more frustration that I just <laughs> didn't feel like I was doing it right, which is not the heart of the Lord or his intention in this at all. Uh, the idea of Sabbath and rest is new to me as it maybe is new to a lot of you. Uh, I grew up in a very, uh, well, I grew up as a very active boy, for one. <clears throat> I like to just do a bunch of stuff, whether it's ride bikes or climb trees or go build forts or whatever. But I also grew up going to church a couple times a week, playing sports going to school, having friends, and by the time I graduated high school, that cycle just continued. I lived a fast-paced life. I was constantly doing one thing to the next, whether it was working or hiking or hanging out with friends or working out or spending time, whatever. I really like to do stuff. And in a lot of ways, as Scott was talking about delight last week, I do get some delight from getting stuff done. And that's not bad or wrong, but it's also not the full heart of the Lord when it comes to finding rest, to Sabbathing with him. And even in all that, I still need to stop. I still need to rest and choose to spend time in the presence of Jesus, doing the things that are delightful because of who he is, not because of who I am. And so I would say that Lauren and I are probably 60-ish percent effective at Sabbathing well, what we would define as Sabbathing well. That doesn't mean it's the same for you, but for us, and 60% uh, is a D, 
which in our day and age is a passing grade. So some could say we're passing, which is pretty cool. Um, but it's also, it's a lot better than what it used to be for me. And that's my prayer for us as a family. That as we continue, we're going to wrap up this Sabbath series today. But we're not like stopping from inviting you or truly pleading with you to choose to Sabbath weekly. Just because we stop the series doesn't mean we stop trying to practice it. Is that my prayer for us is that we would continue to grow. That we would look back over a couple month period and we'd say, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite where I'd like to be, but I'm definitely not where I was in practicing Sabbath with the Lord. And as we do so, we create space for the Holy Spirit to minister to us, which is really the essence of the Sabbath, where we are stepping away from the patterns of this world to be transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. As the cousin of Jesus and John the Baptist said, that he must increase and I must decrease. That's the heart of Sabbath. So, a quick overview over the last couple weeks. Sabbath is this Hebrew word that is, comes from the word Shabbat. And that word Shabbat has been translated into four uh, English terms for us to best understand that word. And those have been our four weeks of this series. Stop, rest, delight, and today we'll hit worship. But before we do, let's look at stop. Stopping is hard. It's hard for me. Like I said, I like to do stuff. And I experience levels of guilt and shame and selfishness for choosing to stop. I don't know if any of you uh, got to that point in your Sabbath practice guide where we were reflecting around it. Like, I, str- I feel guilty when I stop because there's an essence of my identity that I have tied wrongfully to being productive, which is not good, but it's the truth. And when we stop, we create space where the Holy Spirit meets us as we have unwound ourselves from the fast-pacedness of the world around us. Rest, we were encouraged by Olivia to recognize the resistance we experienced. She actually, uh, this photo that she shared with us a couple weeks ago, I found really uh, descriptive of me to rest, where it is a battle. There's an internal struggle, there's an external struggle, there's things that pull us both internally and externally out of rest and into a form of whether it's anxiety or it's this uh, pressure we experience to do something or achieve something or in some way move from that space of rest. And last week Scott talked about delight and not a selfish delight, not a delight in myself, but a delight in who God is. We're delighting in who he is. Sabbath is an invitation each week to delight in the goodness of God and his eternal presence. Whenever we talk about delight or joy, always think of what Nehemiah told us in Nehemiah chapter 8, where he says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not the joy of the thing that I think is fun or enjoyable, but his joy is what gives me strength to live life here. Nehemiah's story is very interesting and a unique study, and I would encourage you to read it. But when this man who did what he did said that the joy of the Lord is my strength here, it speaks very highly of the power of the joy of the Lord in our life. So with that being said, I want to invite you all to grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to start this morning. Uh, If you have a digital Bible, go ahead and Find your app, flip there. Um, and I want to invite Sam Mayorga on up. And Sam is one of our youth 
that uh, he's actually going to read our portion of scripture today. So if you could stand with us today, and Sam's going to read from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sam. Go ahead and grab a seat. Give him a round of applause real quick. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate you, buddy. So, what is worship? Let's get a working definition. Worship is defined as the expression of or reverence and adoration for a deity. That is how uh, the Webster Dictionary describes it. Us as followers of Jesus and those of us with a biblical worldview would take the word deity and replace it with any of the incredible names of God, whether it's Yahweh or El Shaddai or Adonai or Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah. (laughs) not the right word, Jehovah, Creator, God, God the Father, Jesus. Worship is this expression or reverence and adoration for who God is is who Jesus is here and now working in us. John Wesley had this to say about worship, and I love this quote. Above all, singing spiritually, have an eye on God in every word you sing. Aim aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing, and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve here, and reward you when you cometh in the clouds of heaven. Yes, worship is absolutely praising and singing to the God of the universe, 100%. And I think as followers of Jesus, that's naturally what we think of when we say worship. You're like, yeah, songs. And yes, absolutely, absolutely. And there's more. As we look at what Paul told us in Romans chapter 12, is that worship goes beyond just merely song. He says in verse 1, he said, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that this is your true act of worship. Some versions say spiritual worship. There is more than just singing. So I'm going to touch on three ways that we can worship God outside of song. That is one area for sure, but outside of song, these are three areas. And it's kind of like the Sabbath practices, they build on one another. So the last three weeks we've talked about stopping and then resting and then delighting and now worship. These three will also build on one another. So I want to ask you, take your left hand, or sorry, your right hand, your right, my left, right hand, put it on your left shoulder, and bring it down to your right hip. Buckle up. Here we go. Here we go. Reverence is the first one. If you're taking notes, reverence. We can worship the Lord out of reverence for who he is. Reverence is this heart posture. It is a mindset of deep and full respect for who God is, for his glory, for his strength, for his might, for his power, for his mercy, for who he is. Reverence is acknowledgement that God is God and we are not. 
He is God. We are not gods. And when we come to the Lord in reverence for who he is and who he says we are, and we revere him, it is a beautiful place of yielding, of coming and presenting ourselves humbly before him. Revelation 4, we get an image of this uh, as God gives John an image of the throne room of God in heaven. Again, when I said buckle up, this was kind of the big reason. Buckle up. And, f- and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, day and night never ceasing to say, holy, holy, holy. And in the Greek, uh, our English translation doesn't quite capture this. What it, in the Greek is saying, holy, holier, holiest. So when you read that, holy, 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 holier, holiest is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 24-7, that's going on, day and night. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There's some reverence. There's some acknowledgement of the powerful God that we worship here and now. The second way in which we're able to worship the Lord is devotion. Devotion. Who or what we are devoted to begins to shape who we are. Uh, I played lacrosse most, all of, yeah, portion of elementary, all of middle school, and in high school. I was very devoted to this single sport, and I loved it, still do, love the sport of lacrosse. But my devotion to lacrosse, it shaped and formed me. My ability to A, play the game, to be able to catch the ball and throw the ball and pick it up and understand how the movement of the field works and players and strategy and all those things, it shaped me in that way. And that's a finite game that doesn't really transfer else. but it also shaped me in some ways that do transfer. Discipline, work ethic, being able to work together with a team, communicate. It shaped and formed me. Same goes in my marriage. Lauren and I have been married for five years as of last month, actually. Um, thank you. Thank you. It's been the best five years. If you need it, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say that. Uh, <clears throat> but, but she has formed me. In my devotion to her in a marital relationship, she has shaped and formed me in many ways. And I'm extremely grateful, and I won't go into them because we don't have time. But in that devotion to my bride, she has shaped me and formed me. The same goes for anything here on earth. When we devote ourselves to something, it shapes and forms a piece or all of who we are depending on the level of devotion we give it. So when someone's primary devotion is to Jesus, one would think that they are shaped and formed as followers of him. When we are devoted to him, he begins to shape us. This is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. This is not our own strength and will and gumption and white-knuckling ability just to fix it. Just do it, as Charlotte Buff would say. Just to fix it. This is the work of the Holy This is the sanctification process. 
where the Lord is sanctifying us. He is renewing us. This Holy Spirit is removing the junk of this world, the things of this world that has formed us, as Titus tells us, who has stained us and is reshaping us into a new identity with a new nature. Jesus depicted this very beautifully and clearly in Matthew chapter 16 when he told his disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, who wants to learn from me, who wants to be shaped by me, who wants to pattern themselves after me in life, must, not should, not could, not might, must deny themselves. You are God, I am not. Take up their cross, an instrument of torture, of shaming, and of death. And follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. All of the disciples but one were martyred. They were killed for their faith. That is a radical form of devotion to the Lord. I'm not saying that all of us should be willing to go to that space right here, right now, in this moment. But that is an example of what devotion to the Lord really looks like. I think of some of the incredible scholars and followers of Jesus that we have patterned ourselves after, the, the reformers that reformed the church, the Protestant church, and began it into existence, John Wesley being one of them, they were deeply devoted to Jesus, to the word of God and its truth, to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This devotion reshaped what church was in that period of season in which we now are in. So, starts with a sense of reverence, of understanding that God is God and we are not. And yielding ourselves to that, a sense of devotion, allowing the Spirit to shape us, to form us, to transform us, to sanctify us. And the last one is action. That Romans 12 verse, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This presentation of our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, this is your spiritual worship. Action follows the internal work of the Spirit within us. We behave based on what we believe. Our beliefs shape our behaviors. As we are devoted to the Lord and the Holy Spirit changes who we are, he changes our desires, he changes our wants, he changes the vision that we have for our life, he gives us perfect and beautiful mission and purpose in life, and we begin to act out of our true identity that is found in Jesus and not in the things that have shaped and formed us of this world. We begin to see fruit on our tree of life, to use the analogy that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 5. We see the fruit of the Spirit. The last time I looked at a tree, it's not struggling and straining to produce fruit. It just does. When the environment is proper, they produce fruit. Same goes for followers of Jesus. We're not trying to get more love or patience or peace or self-control. It is an overflow of the work of the Holy Spirit's presence within us. Another action, serving others. This is a huge practice that we can do. This is the big way that Jesus operated in his ministry. He served people. He had conversations with people that others wouldn't because of whatever reason was going on in their life. Giving of our time and our talents and our treasures and our testimony to see the kingdom grow, God's kingdom, and not our kingdom, is another action that is worshipful to the Lord. 
that is an overflow of his work within us. Making disciples, God's great command to us, found in two portions of scripture, where Jesus invites us to do as he did, help make other followers of Jesus. As we have reverence for God and are devoted to him, our actions begin to reflect those of Jesus. And they are worshipful to him. They bring honor and glory and praise to who he is when we act from those places. But here's the, the problem, church, is that we are, uh, we are not prone to worshiping the Lord. That's, that's a choice we have to make. Naturally, we want to worship things of this world. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said it well when he said, humans are idol-producing factories. And he's not long, we, wrong. We live in a culture that quickly idolizes people, objects, success, social standing. These things are worshipped in the world that we live in. You can't look anywhere and not recognize that. I'm going to make a statement, and it's, I mean it in like all grace and like no judgment at all. And I'm going to, too, go home and watch the Super Bowl this afternoon. But, like, look at the Super Bowl, case in point, right? Where, in some ways, people are worshiping these guys running around on the field playing a finite game who are paid a significant amount of money. How many millions of people are going to watch the Super Bowl today? Me being one of them. Again, I'm not saying. But that's the culture that we live in, where people are quickly idolized and worshipped. Objects, status, money, influence, power leadership, we quickly begin to worship things that are not the Lord. And as the church, we are not remiss from this. This happens in the church, where pastors become idolized by congregations rather than a longing for people to look more like Jesus. Programs within the church are worshipped rather than Jesus himself. Larger congregations are desired rather than deeper spiritually formed followers of Jesus. The problem is that we can't just do it with our own will. We need this work of the Holy Spirit within us. Because the only person, the only object, the only thing that is worthy of worship is our holy, righteous, set-apart God. 1 Samuel 2.2 2 says this, There is none holy like you, Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like you, God. Exodus 15 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? First Peter, the invitation from Peter to the church, the first century church says, But as he who called you is holy meaning the God of the universe that called us who is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. The same God who is holy, by nature, set apart, righteous, sinless, perfect in every way, this same God told us to keep the Sabbath holy as well. Genesis 2, 1 through 3, we've hit it the last three weeks Again, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested the seventh day from all his work that he had been doing. 
So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God was not tired. He spoke the entire universe into existence. He didn't form it. He spoke it. He was not at all exhausted from his six days of creation. Not at all. And in some ways, we can look at Genesis and say he was pleased with it. There was a smile on his face when he was done. And he still chose to take the seventh day and rest. Again, not because he needed it. And he called that day holy. I have a, a Bible commentary that belonged to my, my grandfather, and it's, it's special to me. There's plenty of underlines and, and uh, notes in the margins, and he's with the Lord now. But it has to say this about this portion of Scripture. When the Creator had pronounced his approval of everything he had made, including man, man the crown of creation, which I love the way that they say the crown of creation, he declared the, the world finished. For the present, he would undertake no further creation. However, he sanctified, or hallowed, that word also means holy, a day of complete rest. During this time, even God would rest from creative activity. The seventh day was set apart to be hallowed or holy and honored through the years as a reminder that God had appointed a season of rest, refreshment, and complete cessation of all ordinary work, toil, and struggle. Sabbath day he made holy as a reminder. Sabbath was not for God, it was for us. It was a reminder to us that we need to be refreshed. That we need to work six days hard and take one day set apart from the other six, remembering it to be holy. God reminded his people twice, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Not do the Sabbath day and don't work. Now, it wasn't about, he said, remember. It's very different than the other 10 commandments. Remember to keep it holy. This is for our benefit. Again, he did not rest because he needed it. He rested as an example to us, knowing we would need it, knowing we would need a day to be refreshed. And in truth, all of God's commandments in Scripture are to our benefit. Everything he commands us to do and how he invites us to live life is an invitation for us to benefit life. God chose to rest on the Sabbath. So these other three Sabbath practices that we've covered, stop and rest and delight, they really all are aspects of worship. To put it another way, worship is the all-inclusive or the culmination of these other three practices. Because when we Sabbath well, and again, well is, is really up to you, when we Sabbath well, it should lead us into a place where it is worshipful to the Lord. Where we are worshiping Him. When we stop and create space from the pace of the world, we worship God out of reverence for who He is. 
and who he says we are. When we rest, we show our devotion to God by trusting him enough to abide in him, allowing the spirit to form us and shape us into who he has us to be. And when we delight in God, we begin to act out of this identity that is found in him. And it is pleasing to him. It is glorifying to him. So the question is not, church, will we worship? The question is, who or what will you worship? Gerald Sitzer from Water from a Deep Well says this, Most of us will not have to die for our faith though it might come to that, even those living in the West. But we will all face moments when we will have to choose between Christ and something that vies for our ultimate allegiance. We cannot worship two gods at once. Jesus was very clear about this in the Gospels. This is the primary reason that choosing to Sabbath helps form us into people that resist the poles of the world. It helps us resist our allegiance landing anywhere else but in who God is. When we honor the Sabbath by keeping it holy, set apart, different than the other six days of the week, we begin to reorient back to a state of being in a worshipful place of who God is. When we work hard for six days and we take one to rest, one set apart, one, we remain holy because God is holy. And we worship that holy God on that day. We reorient ourselves. We come back under the covering of a holy God. And we set aside time. And we set aside space when we uh, don't try and do more, which was, again, my mistake when it came to Sabbath, trying to do more things when it really actually comes to just, just don't. Sometimes a, a, a list of don'ts instead of to-dos, to-don'ts helps out a little bit more of things to not do. So what can this look like? Again, what are ways where we can cultivate a space, an environment where we begin to worship the Lord? My first and foremost greatest encouragement to each and every single one of you is to put the screens away. It is countercultural because everything is right in front of us, including me today because my notes are on the screen. They are so convenient and they are so helpful and man, they are awful masters to serve. And I'm not saying this is a whole entirety, full sale, 24 hours, put it away, don't touch the TV, the computer, the phone, the iPad, the Nintendo Switch, the whatever, right? Maybe that's not the best thing for you. For some of you in here, I know that that's your Sabbath practice where the phone goes away and I can't get a hold of you for 24 hours. And I'm totally okay with that <laughs> and that's fine. But what is it, I would just, again, we're talking about things to not do to create space to worship the Lord. Sometimes the screens aren't helpful. Maybe it's hours. Maybe it's portions. Is there a space to put the screens away and create space for other things, like spending uninterrupted hours with loved ones? Uh, Lauren and I, last night, we got to go to dinner with some close friends, and we spent hours laughing and having a great time, catching up on life, hearing how they're doing. They got married about five, six months ago. How's your marriage? What's going on? What's new? What's exciting? What's fun? What's challenging? Just to share life, uninterrupted time together. Spending time in prayer and gratitude for the Lord, huge, huge. Sitting and just reading a book. For some of you, that sounds awful and maybe a form of torture, which I understand. 
For some of you, they're like, man, that sounds really like soul refreshing to me right now. Going and, and just sitting out in creation and being still, allowing the work of God's masterpiece to put you in awe and wonder of who he is, remind you of his glory, his power, his bigness, and, and not ours. Going for a, a walk, maybe even at a slower pace than you would typically go for a walk. Listening to a good podcast that you haven't just had a chance to get to that you're like, I need to listen to that. I really want to lean in. The question that I would encourage you to ask yourself in this, uh, when it comes to Sabbath and worshiping the Lord is this, what am I typically unable to do during the week that could cause me to worship God now? What is something that you typically don't have the space, the time, the energy, the effort to do during the week, during those six days? that you could do on this one day, that again would bring you into a place of worshiping who God is. Not worshiping self, not worshiping anything that man has made, but simply who God is as our holy, powerful God. Sabbath is time in our weeks that allows us to reorient back to God as we worship him who gives us life fully alive. I want to invite the worship team to come on up. Um, and as they do, I want to ask you to all stand as well. Um, we're going to close service message portion a little bit differently than we have in the past. Um, there's a, a cool practice um, in kind of the more of the liturgical church called a call to worship. Um, and it's sometimes a verse that's read or sometimes in just a simple invitation um, but what we're going to do here is a little bit of a call and response. And so I'm going to read a little portion, and it'll pop up on the screen. I'm going to read the line that says one, and then we all will say the line together that says all. And this is the point of this is to help put us in a place of worship. And we're going to spend the next 15 or so minutes just worshiping the Lord. And I want to invite you to ask the Lord, what posture do you have me in? Is that standing? Is it sitting? Is it kneeling? Is it, is it simply just not really paying attention to the words, but being in prayer? Maybe you, instead of typically singing as you would, you don't sing the lyrics and you just allow them to be sung over you. That being said, beloved children of God, come to worship our creator and friend. Here we are. Come, siblings in Christ, and attend this gathering with our body, mind, and spirit. Be fully present with us today. And if our minds wander and our bodies fidget and drowsiness, or, oh, sorry, and our spirits grow drowsy, what shall we do? worship and wandering, fidgeting and drowsiness, for we can find God in our very breath. Come now, let us worship. Let us worship the Lord.